Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast. We are, of course, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show that's brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. The team of Spurs fans is myself and Elio this week, as always. And the Dave is Dave, who is here again. And we're recording on the 27th. So this is our first episode after Christmas. So very Merry Christmas from all of us to all of you. And thanks for joining this week. Dave, as the only one of the three of us whose Christmas has not yet been ruined by football, I thought I'd come to you first for your thoughts on the festive period. How has your Christmas been? How is everything going? And are you looking forward to the return of the prodigal son to Ellen Road tomorrow? Thanks for reminding me about that, Dags. <laughs> yes, happy Christmas, everyone. I hope everybody had a good one. Yeah, I had a good Christmas with the family, watching as much football as I could with a five-year-old and a seven-year-old running riot. But yeah, I almost feel like this is what it must feel like to not support a club. And just be like a fan of football yeah. because I've just been watching bits of football where I can, but nobody that I actually care about playing football. And it just feels like forever mm. waiting for this game, which will ultimately be a devastating disappointment <laughs> when Erling Haaland slots his seventh in. Do you think five minutes into the game when Haaland breaks through and scores the inevitable opener, do you think he'll put his hands up and shyly not celebrate in respect to his boyhood club? Or do you think he'll run off and do the Buddha? I think he, uh, I think he loves scoring goals <laughs> more than he loves Leeds. I think he won't celebrate his first goal, <laughs> but I think he'll celebrate all the ones he scores after that. Confident as ever, day. Well, it's a very long-winded way of explaining why you haven't done the research, but I expect nothing less at this point. A man who has done plenty of research and probably wishes he hasn't is Elio. Elio, welcome back. Merry Christmas. How has your Christmas been? And have Spurs contributed to the amount that you've been drinking in this festive period so far? <laughs> I see you wielding a bottle of scotch as we speak. Christmas was decent, overrate, mm-hmm. overdrunk, who doesn't? And Spurs, well, it's more of the same, really. Um, yeah. Nothing prepares you for Spurs like Spurs. Well, it's nouveau Spursy, isn't it? It's just it's <laughs> the Spursiest game one can imagine. Well, we'll get into that, of course. Mm. I am, of course, talking about the first game back after the World Cup, two-all draw with Brentford from 2-0 down. In typical fashion, we've come from behind yet again, as tends to be our theme. So we're going to get into talk about that in just a bit. But just before, I just want to say thank you to you guys. This, as I'm holding up now, for listeners who can't see, this is a present that I received from Dave and Elio. It is a novelty-sized FIFA card with my lovely smiling face on it and some rather questionable stats. So thank you guys for that. I was a little bit upset at the 57 pace you awarded me. Elio then clarified to say that that was in relation to my timekeeping with the podcast, which I can't really argue with. Whereas had you been talking about my actual real life pace, I also couldn't really argue with that either but uh, but anyway it'd have been it would a solid 59 it might have been lower than that but yeah, definitely but thank you guys for that very much um right so much as they often do spurs have left us in the unenviable position of having to talk about their failures it wasn't the best result we ended on a high but let's not dance around it probably should have been a better result elio more of the same but it's a bad outcome isn't it um it is in the context of if we want to achieve the things we'd like to yeah. achieve with the manager we have and 
some of the players we have, then we should be doing better away to Brentford. This is also Brentford's side that went to Manchester City and mm. won. They absolutely battered Manchester United. They drew with Chelsea. I think they've lost to Arsenal and Newcastle of the sides up in our part of the table. So they're definitely no pushovers. They've got some exceptional players in the side. Jan Elt is a really, really top quality mm. player. David Raya is a really good goalkeeper. Mbuma and Antonio are obviously class acts. So we have no right to go to Brentford and push them around. And they pushed us around for the majority of the match, like they've done to a lot of other clubs. It's a mixed one because I continue to be frustrated with how slow we start. And there does come a point where you say, why do we keep doing this when we, in theory, have better players on the pitch than Mm -hmm. the opposition? But once again, it's heartening to see how strongly we can finish a game and come back into a game. I, I, I'm always cautious when I question the manager because I, I really think he's done a fabulous job mm. so far. But my mantra has always been, if you're consistently being outplayed by teams with worse players than you, that does come down to yeah. the manager. And I think while we're currently in a good position in the league and still in the Champions League, I've got patience for it. But if we were three, four places lower and going into a bit of a tailspin, I think I'd probably be less understanding. It's one of football's great mysteries at the moment, isn't it? How we manage to keep on doing this because it just doesn't make sense. I mean, we've seen it before. We were talking about this before we started recording, how typical Spurs of yesteryear would have been ahead, flying, coasting, and then lost concentration and ended up throwing a game away. And we used to do that all the time. And we'd rather it was this way around, of course. But in that situation, it's just a case of bad concentration of just losing your call but this there's not really an obvious Mm. explanation for this and Conte's had to come out himself after this game and in the past to say this isn't the game plan I don't tell the players to ease off going into matches it just keeps on happening do you think it has to be a mental thing do you think the players just what what is it because we're supposed to be this supremely fit bunch of players with all the notoriously intense training sessions I'm not supposing that you have all the answers because no one seems to know what it is but do you have any... Yeah, if I had all the answers that I'd be managing the club... Do you have any club, theories um, as to what it is that's causing Spurs to start so badly and end so strongly? It can't be complacency, can it? I mean, Conte keeps saying that he's telling the players not to start like that. Once again, you're the manager. If the players aren't following instructions, then you've got to find a solution mm. to that. And it can't just be about buying new players because I don't accept for a second that... Brentford have a better collection of players playing the exact same formation as yeah. us than us. And individually, once again, it was one of those games where actually a lot of our players had decent individual performances. The defence didn't particularly, yeah. but in front of them it did. So I really don't think that's it. I think that there is something not quite clicking with the unit as a whole. Mm despite the fact that the same unit was clicking very much so at the end of last season and in the second half of every match this season. So I just have to wonder why, if the manager wants them to start differently, he's not getting that message across when Mm. everyone seems to revere him at the club. The players do openly love working with him. So why isn't it sinking? Uh, It can't be as simple as... Benton Core wasn't playing, for instance, mm. or Romero wasn't playing because... Because this has happened in games where they have played. Exactly, and it's not as if Basuma is a bad player. We know he's he was not, in the but first he's half of this game, us, that's so. for sure. He did not start well. Yeah, he, he, he picked was. it up he a improved, lot. But yeah. but... Um, Dave, I want to get your thoughts on this, because I can't help thinking, I was thinking about this earlier, it's quite almost flattering that the games do play out the way that they do, because in alternative universe, let's say that we had the exact same goals for and against and the same points, and we're in the same position in the league, but... 
all these games where we've actually turned it around and come from behind had been the opposite and we'd had a lead and then lost, the narrative would be very different. I know that's a bit of a, a strong hypothetical. That's the case of if my grandma had wheels, she'd be a bike kind of situation. And, <laughs> and obviously it's very different. But do you think that maybe the narrative and the view of Conte and of Spurs is maybe a bit flattering because of the way that we've ended games in this kind of Hollywood fighting spirit way? Yeah, I mean... I think the fitness that you spoke of, and you said Spurs must be one of the fittest teams, I think that does actually lead to the second half of sure. the conversation that we're having, which is the strong finish. Yeah. I think the whole point, unless I'm mistaking it, would be that they don't make the mistakes in the first place, and then mm. by the end of the game, it's a comfortable 2-0 win. I do think it is an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Would you? Would you... I mean... Let's fast forward to the end of the season yeah. and imagine imagine two fantasy scenarios. One where every game you won 4-3, you won 1-0, and every game you drew 2-0, you drew 0-0. Basically a George Graham season, but you finished third. Or you had excitement and stress and pretty much the same points, uh, maybe finish one place lower. Yeah. What would you rather have? Obviously, the excitement mm. for me. I, I'm one of those that's always said I, I'd much rather win a game 3-2 or 4-3 than 1-0. I'd also rather win a game 3-0 or 4-0 when you look at the attacking players <laughs> we have yeah. than 4-3. I think the thing that worries me with it isn't so much the style of play because we are good on the ball and we do put together good moves and the matches are evidently quite exciting. We're seeing a lot of goals. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> who's ever going to complain about that? I think the thing that worries me is that there just seems to be a bit of a randomness mm. about our matches and no team ever succeeds, at least to the extent that we're expecting us to succeed when there's that kind of lottery football going yeah. on. It's so much in the lap of the gods and that's not about being more attacking or more defensive or more possession-based or more passive. That's about actually finding a way to keep the ball where you want it on the pitch as much of the time as possible. And when we're being dominated as often as we are through the middle, when we can't play through the press, when we're making so many sloppy mm. mistakes that are just down to basic concentration, like the corner die gave away for um, yeah, for totally second yesterday, it just, it, it totally needless. It, it just really makes you concerned that there isn't enough rhyme or reason to what you mm. do and when you have attackers of the quality of that we might scrape top four and or more likely probably get fifth or sixth but with attackers of the quality we have even with a slightly substandard set of defenders we shouldn't be hoping to scrape top four yeah that's not how you make your own luck is it they talk about being hard to beat we're not that hard to beat we're quite hard to defend against but we're easy to score goals against it would seem well let's mm. let's talk about the game then shall we yes that is i think the ninth game in a row in which we've conceded first which is obviously very worrying and ties in with everything we've just been talking about but we did come through and, and get a point in the end the lineup elio if i'm not mistaken was if not exactly what you were hoping for it was pretty close was it the same 11 that you you tweeted that you'd like to see and the only difference being the goalkeeper yeah, but yeah. the exact same outfield yeah. i wanted tanganga over sanchez off the back of his good performance against nice i wanted to see long lay ahead of davies for his distribution mm. doherty and perisic out wide pick themselves the midfield and attack pick themselves so it's exactly what i wanted yeah. to see given how badly they played i probably shouldn't <laughs> be admitting that so freely that wasn't me trying to call you out by the way that was that was just a, a point of note but we'll talk about all the individual 
individual players and certainly one or two of the players that you wanted to see that were in the team probably justified their position in there. Longley for his distribution was one of your points you made and he, he mm. was involved in one of the goals. But before we get to the Spurs goals, we have to wait at least 50 minutes as we always do. So let's talk about the goals we conceded first. First one, kind of a counter-attack, a bit sloppy at the back. Spurs are sort of caught napping. Who do you blame for this goal? Because I know we always try and look at these goals and say, could we have done better? Could we have stopped it? Was it just a good goal? This one was a bit of a shambles all over the park, really. It's hard to pinpoint the blame on any one in particular, isn't it? It was a very disorganised effort. Um, I think, unfortunately, one of the players I wanted in Tanganga was nowhere near where you'd want him to be in that Mm. situation. And I think the fact that Brentford had not one but two runners into the box, one to hit the initial shot and one for the rebound, completely sort of unmarked, was criminal because we did have two defenders there it's just that they weren't on mm. their players don't blame the goalie in the slightest he made a really good save yeah. and off of a deflected shot i mean he had no right to save the deflection as mm. far as i'm yeah. concerned so absolutely no criticism yeah, for him they were saying the same um, thing a minute ago actually yeah that was unlucky but these defenders should know better mm. um you're giving space to premier league forwards in your box you're going to get punished yeah. i know it's always a bit hard when it's a counter and you're on the back foot but they were there yeah, It's not as if they mm. were 20 yards behind. They were there. Get closer. Mm. With goal number two, I mean, what can you say other than it was a horrible corner, completely needless to give away. Yeah. And then once again, zonal marking shows itself up for being yeah. a, in my opinion, substandard form of defending set pieces. <laughs> Sounds like a good time to turn to Dave, I think, our resident expert on zonal marking. <laughs> no one knew who they wanted yeah. to mark. No one knew who their man was. And one player got an unmarked header and another player got an unmarked happen. It was a ridiculous... Even if you're marking zonally, I think you still need to make sure someone is on Tony in a corner. Because I mean, he's the centre <laughs> forward, he's the main threat. And he just seem to have no Why one near him. Why don't you just him? assign someone? Oh, all that. Why don't all you that. just assign your biggest lump to just attack every ball that's crossed in from a set piece? Just say, whoever the best header from set pieces is, just say, you attack every time the ball comes in. That is your job. It's a long time ago now, but it worked really well. Basically, when Gary Monk was the manager at Leeds when we were in the championship, we conceded loads of goals in like the first five or six games from, from mm. corners. Like Seriously, we conceded like eight goals from corners and something <laughs> daft. And that was the change we made. We basically put Chris Wood mm. just as a roaming get-your-head-on-the-ball defender, and mm. he just won 80% of the balls because he was the best header of the ball in both teams because he's Chris mm. Wood. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with that, to be honest, Ellie. I don't know why. Maybe we're just being simple. But <laughs> why don't you just have why don't you just have loads of attackers running that, stuff, loads of running that way, loads of defenders running that way, and smash at the, in exactly. the middle, and whoever wins the header deserves to Not win the header. Not rocket science, this football. Yeah. Exactly. Just put Harry Kane in there. How many just, times just have we seen Harry it. Kane get up and clear a header away? You say you put your biggest guy in there. Exactly. You're putting Chris Wood in. Harry oh, yeah. yeah. Kane. was doing it in the exactly. World Cup final. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's totally we always say he's our best striker, midfielder, and defender, so let's give him a chance to prove it 15 years ago our best defensive header of the ball from set pieces was our least defensive player Dimitar mm. Berbatov he used to win every single header to clear it out of the box put Harry Kane on every single header and so what if he's not in a good position to receive the ball after it don't think about attacking before you think about defending when you're defending in a corner yeah zonal not for me and it's just yeah. something that I've never understood why because it just takes away all accountability from the defenders at least if you know whose fault it is you can then work on it mm. 
when you go zonally, everyone can just point the finger at yeah, each other. That's the thing. It, it requires a hell of a lot of discipline, doesn't it? Because you need players that are going to take that responsibility instinctively and not just leave it to their friend in the in the split second that it takes to make that decision. And it takes a hell of a lot of experience as well to know where to be. Let's roll it back just a second because like right before they scored their second, it was one of those moments that could have changed the game where we had a penalty shout. Dave, I know you had a look at this. This was one of the things that you looked at in your preparation. Always go to you for these contentious calls because you're supposed to be the impartial one. Um, what did you think of the incident with Ben Mee on Harry Kane? Had his arms around him. Kane went down in the box. Well, interesting on this one. I actually did come... I was in and out of the game while I was <laughs> yeah. on live and I did actually come over to the TV to see what the, what the ruckus yeah. was all about. And all I saw was a bit of handbags mm. and then a replay. And I just went, oh, so the ref's given a penalty for that then? Yeah. And then suddenly it was the throw into Spurs. And I, and yeah, you didn't I just it. assumed that that would have been given as a yeah. penalty, to be honest. I don't really know why it wasn't given as a penalty. I mean, it's not a clear and obvious error because I don't think that's mm. ever going to be given as a clear and obvious error when it's that kind of coming together. But it wouldn't have been turned no. over if if the ref had given it. No, I can't imagine there would have been too much protesting the same reason. from Brentford. So, so yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. VAR penalties, referees, yeah. <laughs> insert generic chat, repeat, see you next exactly. weekend. It'll be nice. It's like COVID. We can't, can't wait till we don't <laughs> exactly. have to talk about it every time. Exactly. VAR is like um, COVID. I mean, I think my big gripe with it and the way it was dealt with from a VAR standpoint is that from the angle behind the goalkeeper, you can so clearly see the action mm. of Ben Me taking Harry Kane down like that. So there is no way the ref can honestly say from where he was positioned, I have seen that yeah. clearly. If he's told that to the VAR guys, he's <laughs> lying. So no, there is no way he can honestly say he's seen yep. that clearly. So then you have to ask VAR, it may not be clear and obvious, but if the referee hasn't seen it properly, tell him what's happened. Mm. Like it, it was clear as day like that, a penalty. And I just think this was VAR making sure that they're sticking to one of their own and protecting yeah. their their mates, basically. A bit like, what's his name? The referee that they always go to. Peter, Peter Walton. Walton. <laughs> yeah, Peter Walton always yeah. backing up the referees every time they ask him for his opinion. He always says, yeah, referee got it right. Of course he does. But I do wonder what was going through Kane's mind in that moment, though, because I couldn't help but, I mean, I think everyone was thinking of the same thing, obviously, with what happened to him in his last penalty in the World Cup. Do you think he's kind of just desperate to take another one right now? Or do you think it was a part of him thinking, oh God, pressure's on again? Because he obviously wanted the penalty. It was on him. He was protesting. Elio, what do you think was going through Harry Kane's mind in that moment? Do you think he was even thinking about France game? Or was it just, I want a penalty. I want to score for Spurs. I want a penalty. I want to score for yeah. Spurs. I think the way he took his actual goal in the end, and I think second yeah. half anyway, when he got to see a bit of the ball, the way he played shows that actually no hangover whatsoever. Yeah, um, definitely. I was going to ask you that exact point. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't his best game but it's been the Kane game that we've had a lot lately which is not that involved but gets the goal yeah which kind of is different to how he plays England, for England yeah. but yeah yeah we we're using him as a number nine England's are using him as a number 10 yeah absolutely I personally don't know which is right but he's, he's scoring he's pretty damn so good at both I think it. is probably the fair fair assessment of it um, but let's talk about that goal then let's, let's jump ahead to that because that's when things definitely started to turn around for us I touched on it earlier Longway was one of the players you wanted to see in the lineup, mainly for his ability on the ball and he proved that in this game with uh, not one but two really mm. nice crosses to Kane there was another one that was almost a copy of his goal where Kane hit the bar later on mm. but, but the first goal perfect cross perfect header um, mm. it's one of those where 
that's against you. It's pretty hard to nitpick errors in your defence on that. It's just a top-class striker doing what he does best, isn't it? Perfect cross, perfect mm. header. He wasn't unmarked. He was just better. I mean, quick message to Gareth Southgate, who I'm sure is one of our oh, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you were putting those kind of crosses to Kane in the World Cup. Wow. Maybe you wouldn't have had to rely on two penalties to get a draw against France. Let's not open that door again there, shall we? <laughs> Let's not go get into that. Um, but Dave, as Elio said, that, that didn't look like a player who is still hung up on missing a penalty in the World Cup. He's over that. He's moved past it. He's back to business, isn't he? Yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's a pro. You're not worried he's about Harry Kane. He's a world-class striker. Yeah. I'm not... Well, like I said in the last game, I'm not worried about it. And he did get a bit of ribbon. He did get a bit of you let your country down from oh, yeah. the you know 15 Brentford fans that turned up for their little mini Lego stadium. <laughs> but it will be different when you are... Well, when you're away at Palace, for one. They've, yeah. they've, they've got a notoriously decent home support. So I can imagine that that might be a little bit tasty and Kane will get the brunt of that and that will be then when we see whether it does affect him but in yesterday's game there was no ill effects he looked good he looked like he wanted to you know just get on with it and yeah to answer your previous question 100% he'd have wanted that penalty just to get that off his chest and move on it'll be almost like a Stuart Pearce moment won't it when he scores his next penalty he'll he'll celebrate that a little bit harder just to get it out of the way but no certainly the early signs seem like not quite at that level no no I mean it depends on the stakes getting over that kind of Hopefully we have a penalty sooner than one that would mean that much. But yeah, let's see. You're right. You're right. If Spurs do get to the quarterfinal of the European Championships, then it will be a big deal. <laughs> exactly. It would be. But we've got a little while until hopefully we have to face any kind of penalty shootouts. But we'll, we'll get on to that. So second goal. If we don't want to be relying on Kane for goals, we can always rely on good old Kevin De Bruyberg with what is his goal machine. Fifth goal of the season, would you believe? Which is not bad for uh, someone you'd, you'd classify as a defensive midfielder. He's only ever scored 14 goals goals in senior club football and five of those have been this season which is definitely a step up there but uh, without wanting to take too much away from KD Broberg Elio I think Kulusevsky deserves a bit of credit for his involvement in this goal and for his contribution throughout the game really Kulusevsky was our best player he was our most dangerous player how many times we're, have we said that, that <laughs> every week exactly. it seems to be the um, case <laughs> just such a joy to watch and the assist, okay, but fortunate that it deflected into Hoybier's mm. path, but he deserved it for the skill he used to beat the guy and yeah. um, just his general effort and ingenuity. By that point, we definitely deserved the equaliser yeah. as well. And Hoybier was so composed and so calm, and he, he had that as if he was Harry Kane himself. It was a really, really yeah. top finish. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of defenders between him and the goal. It's nowhere near as easy as it looked, and he got it right. And it's really nice that he's added this element to his game especially in a game where he didn't play particularly well in my opinion but the fact that we can rely on him to pop up with goals at the moment is is huge I mean four and 15 now so that's 10 goals roughly by the end of the season can't complain about that um, in the slightest and I mean all right mathematically it's more than 10 goals but it puts him on track to get double figures basically mm. and when Benton Coors back he's obviously been in the goals as well as Dave knows and that can only enhance things for it us must be he's worked on though because it was a composed finish and I think a lot of his goals this season have been very calmly placed I think the way it tees up for him sometimes you'd be forgiven for going for the thunder bastard and just trying to absolutely lash it and hit it into Rose <laughs> but he's uh, he's kept his cool there the two of them each have four goals uh, we're 16 league games in now they've each got four mm. goals in that time that, so that can be the difference because we've not always had goals from midfield have we a lot of the time the problem with Spurs has been we're too reliant on Kane and Son or even the front I three. can't remember us ever really having goals from midfield 
midfield going back to Jermaine Gina's yeah. first couple of seasons. I mean, wonderful though he was, Modric never got goals yeah. really. Dembele didn't. Obviously, Wanyama, Dyer, they won or two. Are we not counting so, Delhi or Ericsson so, really as midfield midfield? They were yeah, playing exactly. as forwards. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's nice to see. Unfortunately, FPL did not decide to award Kulisevsky with an assist for that, which uh, was much to my disappointment mm. having him in my team. But uh, never mind, we'll, we'll take the goal anyway. But it looked at that point like there was only going to really be one winner. I know you never really know with Spurs, but I think the second half, for all of our faults in the first mm. half and for conceding the first two goals, we were definitely the better team. And, and correct me if you disagree, but I think if we had another five minutes of injury time, five minutes in that game, we probably would have got the winner, wouldn't we? I mean, by the end of it, I felt that in terms of the balance of play, we did deserve it. Maybe in terms of the fact that we were 2-0 down in the first place, you could say it draws a fair result, but Kane was two inches away from getting a winner for us. Yeah. Unfortunately, if you give yourself that much to do, if you start that mm. slowly, you don't deserve to get your way by the end of it. Exactly. Well, no, that was it. So unfortunately, we couldn't quite get the three points, but it is worth saying that in terms of home form, Brentford are actually sixth in the Premier League in, in terms of the home table. And mm. I think from what I understand, they've got a very good record of holding on to leads too. I think they've got they've conceded very few goals after taking a lead. Or I don't think they've lost, lost when they've taken the yeah, lead this so season. And... As much as on the face of it, 2-2 seems like a bad result. I think in the circumstances and having come from behind, we've got to give some credit to our team. Brentford are a good side. They were a good side last season. They were a good side when they were in the championship. Yeah. Um, the season they got promoted was almost a season later than they deserved. Mm. I, I, I think that they've played good football for a number of years and while yeah there's a bit of a directness and robustness about the way they play it's not as if they're just sort of hoofing it up to for a big lump to knock yeah. down they're, they're really actually playing driven and energetic and intelligent football if this was if this was a Jurgen Klopp side we would all be hailing a great Gegenpress and a great varied play uh, yeah. I think they're, they're they're decent opposition and I quite enjoy them in the Premier League they've been enjoyable so far so that was a point rescued from 2-0 down Dave any guess as to how many points Spurs have managed to accumulate this season alone from losing positions so far it's got to be something daft like 10 or 12 it's actually 14 points 14 I did I did have a look earlier I had a quick browse to try and find out if I could see what the record is in a Premier League season of most points gained from losing positions I couldn't find it but we're surely on course for whatever it is let's hope we don't have to do it that way for the rest of the season and we figure out how to play in first halves but definitely something to be impressed by war a trophy guys war a trophy Mm. dust off that cabinet Um, I just want to talk about a few more players before we move on to preview our upcoming game so we talked about Kulusev we, we always talk about how brilliant he is. It's almost getting boring at this point. Um, I think we mentioned Basuma looked a bit rough in the first half, but then kind of carried on well in the second half. Eric Dyer's play you touched on earlier. He was he was a fault, you could argue, for one of the goals, but certainly for giving away the corner that led to it. But he he just had a little bit of a substandard match and it's not the first one he's had in recent times. I think he's kind of unfortunately picked up his form from before the World Cup. Are you starting to lose a bit of patience with Dyer now? Because I know we've all been quite protective over him and we've backed him up and defended him for a long time on this podcast. But what are your feelings towards him at the moment? I don't know. I have lost patience now. I like Eric Dyer. I think he's a great personality at the club. I think that he's had a lot of good games for us in his career with us and he's been with us a long time now as well. Perhaps it's Mm. part of the problem. But I think that, and I've said this before, I think the fact that he's still making these mistakes yeah. now is is beginning to be a bit worrisome. He's 28. Um, 28. 
28 years old. He should be at his peak. Exactly. He should be coming into his prime now for a centre-back. Mm. So I just think the concentration level's not there. The commitment and the heart and the passion is, but you need more than that. And I see Longley take centre-back mm. for our next match with Ben Davies coming in at left centre-back because I don't think Dyer should keep his place at yeah. the moment. Um, I think he should be made to earn it back and he need, needs a bit of a kick up the mm. arse. Um, no, I was, I was disappointed. And unfortunately, shaky defence then goes through the rest of the team. Yeah, it's, The defence sets the tone for the performance. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's hard to argue with that, really. And it's a shame because I think, like you say, I like Eric Dyer as well. And I've, I think we defend him partly because we want him to do well rather than we think he's doing well. And and he was brilliant for a short period last season, I think. But a lot of people are starting to lose patience with him. So let's see. Well, with, with that in mind, let's talk about what you'd like to see going forward. Because, of course, our next game is uh, home against Villa, a game that you're going to, Elio. I'm sure you're, well, I was about to say, I'm sure you're very excited about it, but maybe slightly less <laughs> excited after seeing that. But either way, that's our next game on New Year's Day. What would you like? to see in the lineup you got your wish last time it didn't quite play out how you wanted to but if you were picking the team you just um, mentioned the defense well, i've already given a good hint yep. to it and seeing longley come into the middle yep, and davies yep. not least because longley once again yep. is our best distributor out of defense so actually if he can hit sort of nice quarterback yep. passes for us that could be handy we'll have also, romero back by romero sh- <laughs> touch wood romero will be in the team against if Aston we can find Villa. him um, we can find him in the middle of a party. Larice back in goal, <laughs> yeah, quite. Larice yeah. back in goal is a must. Not that Foster did anything wrong, to tell you the truth, but Larice is a better yeah. goalkeeper, obviously. Hopefully, Benton Core is fit. Yeah, if Benton Core, Romero, and Larice can all yeah. come back in, and then put Davies in as well for Tanganga, Dyer, and Basuma, then that is an excellent starting lineup. Then what we need to think about is actually starting the match better. (laughs) And what I'd just love to see is our players getting the ball straight away and just hitting balls in behind the opposition Mm. defenders for our forwards to chase down. And even if they don't get the ball, harass those defenders, force them into booting it out of play, making a mistake. Don't just play it safe from minute one go for the throat straight away play those balls in behind and put pressure on them to make mistakes give our strikers something to chase and harangue those defenders because Conte can say for all he wants that he wants us to come out and play more assertively and play in first halves like we do in the second half what does that mean well you set the tone in Mm. the first minute so it's a very simple instruction Hoybier or Doherty or whatever the second you get in the ball that's their left back play it around the side of him Kuluzewski, you just charge at it and make sure he doesn't have an easy time of clearing yep. it. The second you do that, you set the tone for the whole match. Yep. The second you start passively, it's very hard to undo that. Absolutely. I think on that note, Elio, I don't know if you watched all of the Villa-Liverpool game the other day because Villa played with a very high line and so did Liverpool. In fact, it was a, it was a bit of a mad game. You had both teams through on goal so many times. It could have been any scoreline. I think Darwin Nunez in particular, who I also have in my FPL team, he could have had four or five goals the amount of times he was played in. And as the game progressed, mm. I don't know if it was just stubbornness, just an insistence on trying to play that high line and get some kind of control of the game, but they they didn't change their game plan and I can't imagine they will for us either so I think as you say balls in behind balls over the top will probably get us a lot of joy hopefully Dave what do you think of 
I was going to say Villa under Unai Emery, but we don't really know yet. It's a little bit early days. But um, in terms of the squad Villa have, how do you see that one going? Well, I think Emery had a really good couple of results in the league, mm. at least, before the World Cup. Obviously, that's a long time ago now. And you could argue that maybe that was the honeymoon period and now it's the, now it's the business end where he actually adopts ad- adopt, uh, his way of working. Yeah. But I will say this. I would back the squad that Villa have to get a result against you more now that they have Emery yeah. in charge than when they had Gerard. Um, mm. So I think they do have some great players. I mean, obviously, if we can get a tune out of Coutinho, that's always going to be a, a benefit. I don't think their strikers are half bad. They're quick, anyway. uh, Ings and Watkins. Yeah. yeah. Um, or Bailey. Uh, Leon Bailey's got something from. about yeah. him as well. Exactly. So I think they do have some really good players who could really hurt you if they fancy mm. it. The question is whether they fancy it or whether they don't buy into what Emery's selling. But they should because yeah. he's a really good manager and uh, he will he will do perfectly well at Villa. I would be surprised if they weren't tenth or above by the end of the season. Yeah, Elio, do you agree with that? Would you rather be facing uh, Stephen Gerrard Villa than a new Emery Villa? Of course, Emery's a really yeah. good manager. I think he's actually someone I wouldn't have minded us getting before we got yeah. Conte as well. Has a decent brand of football and yeah. Villa are in a much better position with him as manager than with Gerrard. But Villa also have some very good players. I'm not sure what their injuries and fitness is mm. like at the moment, but obviously Danny Ings has been a good player for a long time. Ollie Watkins is a very able footballer. I know he doesn't score quite as much as they expected him to, but yeah, he is a good player. Uh, you've got, exactly, you've got John McGinn as well, who I, I think is yeah. a good player as well. Good Premier League midfielder, good all-rounder, very, very sort of uh, able to pick a lock as well. Um, much as I dislike the bastards, Matty Cash <laughs> is a good player. They've, they've got strength everywhere and they can cause problems. That said, you know the next part of my comments and I'm not even going to bother repeating it because it's a cliche yep. at this yeah, point. I know where it's going, but we'll see. Football is not played on paper, I think, or some words to that effect. So it's going to be interesting to see if Doherty starts, which I imagine he may well do, up against Matty Cash again. Could be the showdown that we've all been waiting for. Let's hope that he doesn't get his legs scythed in half this time. Mm-hmm. The revenge yeah, mission. Or, or that, yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's give some of it back. I mean, can you see Doherty at the moment with that goatee and that very sort of chiseled drawn line right now I, I wouldn't want to take him on at this moment he, he looks like a bit of a mean bastard he, at the moment. he certainly does yeah he certainly does I'm sure he'll offer a stern challenge uh, after Matsy Cash had to face Messi in the World Cup I'm sure it'll be a similar kind of proposition um, with that game coming up do you think it's just going to be a case of outscoring them and assuming we're going to start badly or do you think things could actually be different <laughs> what do you expect to happen if Romero and Bentoncourt are fit yeah then well Romero is fit as a case of if he's sober, I guess. If they're fit, then that is two top-class players coming into the side to replace two non-top-class players. Mm. Add that to Kulusevsky, Kane, Son, who I don't think was anywhere near as bad as people are saying. V. Brentford, Mm. by the way. Perisic, who's getting better all the time at the moment. Longley, who's doing a pretty good job. Lloris back in. I think we'll have too much for them. Uh, I really do. Uh, that can obviously come back to haunt me, mm. but I think this is the sort of game we want at the yeah. moment. It's, it's at home. It's with players coming back into fitness. All right, we've had a game to shake off a bit of rust now as well. Harry Kane's come back with a beautiful goal and there's every reason to be confident. And for all the whining around us at the moment, we're still four points better off than versus the same opposition overall last season in the 16 matches we've played. So 
the world isn't ending just yet. We've got reason to be optimistic. <laughs> the world isn't ending. You heard it here. Yet. I'm not sure. Yeah, I left that bit out conveniently. I'm not sure how much I fancy Villa's defence either, to be honest with you. I've never been that convinced by Tyrone Mings. And if they play as high a line as they did against Liverpool, Son might have a lot of joy. You mentioned Son just now. I actually think he was one of those players that came into the game a lot in the second half and, and picked up quite well. And mm. I think definitely deserves a place in the starting lineup. Well, I mean, Richardson's yeah. injured, so <laughs> there's not much alternative anyway, uh, really is there at the moment. With Son, I can deal with the bad touches and the running into blind alleys and the lack of visionary passing if he's able to make space for himself and get good shots off. He wasn't doing that first half of the season, which is why he scored very few goals. He was in this match, and if he keeps doing that, he'll get double figures by the end of the season easy. Fingers crossed. Well, we're going to preview a few games in this podcast because, as will probably be the situation for the remainder of the season, we're having games coming in thick and fast, and the fixture list is very congested thanks to the ridiculous World Cup in the middle of it. So we're going to look forward to a couple of Premier League games as well as a cup game against Portsmouth that we touched on last week. But the next game is against Crystal Palace, if I'm not mistaken. Palace, I say as Elio pours out another scotch while trying to deal with the thoughts of more Spurs. Um, Dave, you've kept a little eye on Crystal Palace recently. What could we expect from them and what kind of game do you think that will be? Is it going to be an open, free-flowing game? Is it going to be a scrap fest? Are there going to be red cards? I don't think it'll be a scrap fest, and I think it might be an open game. Uh, Crystal Palace play good football. They maybe have been unlucky in a few games before the World Cup break. The game that they played yesterday against... Fulham yeah. is well the red card they'll get two players sent off yeah, and, then, exactly. and then you might have a yeah. chance but I think before that Vieira's got them playing decent stuff they are still too reliant on Zaha Elise and Eze show glimpses but not consistency mm. they are definitely two very talented footballers and I really want to see more of them and the front three of those three in behind someone like Odson Edward would be a pretty attractive, fun to watch yeah. attack line. But mm. like I said, the, the issue that we have is that the only consistent one out of those four is, is Zaha. And if, well, he's he's been known to have a strop and disappear from games as well. Yeah. So it seems to be that they have the same problem that they've had for a while, which yeah. is that reliance and the well, the lack of a plan B. But they are playing better football. So I don't think it'll be a scrap. I don't think it'll be particularly punchy so to speak yeah. but I do think it'll be it'll be worth watching yeah for a neutral yeah I think they're a little bit like what we just commended Tottenham for no longer being in the sense that they're a little bit too reliant on certain players for goals whereas hopefully yeah. we, we can demonstrate that we're a little bit better rounded um, I'm just looking back at our last well think about well th- if you think about yeah. that I mean it's it's, you, it's it's almost like you're comparing chalk and cheese mm-hmm. when you compare a top six club with a non-top six club but if you yeah. look at it you've got Kane with how many goals so far this season 13 in the league or- yeah. Um, <laughs> Nobody knows. Fewer than Haaland, more than everyone else. And you've, got, and you've got other people that are contributing four, five, six goals. Yeah. Zaha's got six. Yeah. Next best is someone with two, I think. Yeah. So so just put Romero, that's, that's put Romero on him to wind him up. Actually, yeah. that reminds me, we didn't even talk about the fact that Martinez is probably going to be back in golf for Aston Villa. That'd be an interesting one, won't it? Imagine if that's when Kane gets his penalty. I can only imagine what Martinez will do. He'll probably walk up and say something in his I ear. I do love, by the way, just an aside, I do love how confident you are of people who've been out on the lash for the last three weeks <laughs> being back on New Year's Day. Hey, they're professionals, okay? I choose to believe. Surely New Year's Day is the final blowout yeah. for the World Cup party. Yeah. Put it this way, Dave. 
Dave, were I in that Argentina squad, I wouldn't be anywhere to be seen right now. But that's probably why I'm not a top level footballer. <laughs> so it all comes back around. Um, I'm just having a look at our last couple of games against Palace. And bizarrely, they were both three nils, both including a red card. But they were basically the mirror image of each other. And in fact, I think it was one of our first ever <laughs> podcast episodes was when we reviewed the three nil defeat when uh, I think Tanganga mm. was sent off that day, if I remember correctly. and then Yeah, yeah I think Edward got a couple, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, it was his debut, wasn't it? And then, and then the next game was yeah. actually on Boxing Day, pretty much a year ago to the day. And so we, uh, we won 3-0 and they had a player sent off. It was Zaha, actually. We're talking of players who can, can be very hit or miss. So uh, in summary, on the basis of that, I have no idea what to expect, but I'm sure it'll be fun. Elio, what do you expect from that game? Um, I'm glad that Tompkins is out because I think that probably means they'll be playing someone like Riedewald or someone like that who's not particularly good instead. I think uh, Mitchell got sent off as well. And yeah, I, he's a good player. I, I couldn't begin to tell. He got sent off early. Yeah, he, he is a, a big miss. So like he'll be missing for our game or straight yeah, red? It yeah? Stri- yeah, it was a straight red, I think, Mitchell's wasn't it? Was so, yeah. I think Tompkins was too yellow. Okay. No, Mitchell's yeah, a big loss so, for them. Okay, fair enough. Either way, they're both out, so that's their defence going to be re He's a left-back, isn't he, Mitchell? Um, He'll be, so Mitchell, whoever they yeah, put in for him will be up back. against Kudusevsky, basically. That's got to be yeah. good. Uh, I mean, they may well just drop Schlapp back into mm. defence because he's played defence and midfield a lot in his career. He's a player that has very few goals in his career, but I think about half of them have been us uh, against yeah. <laughs> us, oddly enough. They do have some players that I really like. I, I've liked Michael Elise from long before yeah. they signed him. I was gutted when we didn't I think Zaha we, we've already spoken about Zaha easy uh, easy 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 uh, Ezzy going you know what Eberechi that's easier um, he's obviously a huge talent and uh, Morricone um, and <laughs> And Jordan AU is just one of those tireless runners that loves to be a thorn in the side and gets about two goals a season. And often those types of players do get those goals against us. Um, So there's definitely reason to be fearful, but hopefully the straight red for Mitchell means he's still going to be out. Tompkins, I guess, will be back for that. And hopefully there's not a repeat of last season. I don't expect there will be because uh, Nuno Espirito Santo is not our manager at this <laughs> point and yeah. Harry Kane is not on strike at this point, but we shall yeah, see. Yeah, it's not stop people complaining, but let's be grateful that uh, things are better than they were once upon a time. Elio, let's talk about Portsmouth because uh, it's another upcoming game and a team with which we've got quite a lot of history, as you touched on last week, and obviously um, a lot of crossovers, both in terms of manager and players. <laughs> talk to me about Portsmouth. <laughs> They've got our boy Dane Scarlett on loan to them at the moment. He obviously won't be playing. I think we did not let them register him for the FA Cup at all, actually, which to me sounds like we're trying to get a better loan for him. Um, I don't profess to know much about League One football, to tell you the truth. So I can't tell you too much about Portsmouth, but in terms of talking about our history... It definitely does feel more like Dave's remit. <laughs> Dave, Dave's like, no, I turned my back on the lower leagues years ago. How dare you? I forgot about League One. Didn't How dare exist you? Anymore. Never, never watched League One not, or, League, or, or the championship. They're not having the greatest season. I think they're mid-table. They're probably not going to go down, but they're probably not going to come up when at the beginning of the season they were sort of being tipped for a potential promotion charge. So that's not great for them. I think in terms of my memories of Portsmouth, the main one is losing an FA Cup semi-final 
final to them in the year that they got relegated. Um, where I think we lost we 2 did. 0. I'm looking at that. They still, that was the year after they won the yeah. FA Cup. And then we went on an incredible run in the following week that saw us beating both Arsenal and Chelsea for the first time since 1863 to help us get top four for the first time. So <laughs> FA Cup matches against yeah. Portsmouth appear to be a decent omen for us. Um, Even if we lose. Yeah, even if we lose, okay. especially <laughs> yeah, if we lose. quite. I love that. I love that. Tell me about Portsmouth, and Eddie goes like, "I know nothing about Portsmouth." However, let me regale you with tales of ten years ago and how well I remember everything that was going on with Spurs from that time. That's exactly what I what I expected. But on a more serious note, it's still relatively early days, I suppose, in the cup. Do you want to see a few fresh faces in there, or is this the point where you think I want trophies? Let's not take chances. We remember what happened in twenty ten. Let's go out there and beat them and try and go on a run. We're going to have to rotate a bit yeah. because that's going to be our third yeah. game in a week. Romero might be back at by the then. same time. He might, he might not be hung over <laughs> quite. <laughs> at the same time, after that, we don't have another game for eight <laughs> days. That match being the North London derby. <sighs> Lovely, lovely work by the Premier League putting our rearranged game away to Manchester City straight after the North oh, London derby, dear. by the way. Thank you very much. But yeah, no match for eight days after the Portsmouth game. So we should go relatively strong for that. But at the same time, if you really don't fancy taking the risk of throwing in the likes of Bissouma, Brian Kill, whatever in that match, then why are they at the club at all, quite frankly? Yeah. So so Oliver skipped too. So... So I, I think there will be some obvious rotation. I think we'll probably go full strength for the first two games in that period and then give the big boys a bit of a rest against Portsmouth yeah. so that they can be fresh for the scum. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have an extra special episode in anticipation of that as well, I'm sure. You're going to go to that game, Elio? 12.30 on uh, Saturday the 7th? I'm not going to no? be at the Portsmouth game. I'll be watching it on TV. Do we know if Dane Scarlett can play? No, he won't No, be. no, no, he can't. He can't play. Is that a definite no? We've not even let them register him for the FA Cup, never mind, oh, really? to play against us. Yeah. Sorry, I missed that when you said it earlier. Correct me um, if I'm wrong, but I understand he is one. doing very well and they're, they're all starting to fall in love with him a little bit over at Portsmouth. Well, he, um, he had a good start. He works very yeah. hard. He's not trailblazing on the goal side of things, mm. though, but he's, he's a kid. He's 17. It's about the experience, not about... It's not so much about his performance for them. It's about him improving. Harry Kane's loans were awful. Yeah, no, fair enough. Actually, I stand corrected. I've just seen he's got three goals in 19. I don't know if this is common knowledge, but I was not aware that Portsmouth are owned by Michael Eisner, the CEO of Walt Disney. Did you That's know that? Hilarious. That's new. I've just looked this up. I, this news me. I also learned today that Michael B. Jordan is co-owner of Bournemouth. Then was at the game just now, or the Chelsea game. I saw him in the in the stand. So uh, I'm learning a lot. None Excellent of it's useful. Insight as always on the exactly. Beautiful none, game. none of it is remotely um, useful as far as football is concerned, but it's interesting <laughs> nonetheless. Um, so yeah, what I will say about Portsmouth is that I do think that uh, the Cowley brothers, who are their manager and assistant manager, uh, Danny mm. and Nick, are a very good upcoming duo and will be in the Premier League yeah. at some point in their careers. They did a really good job at Lincoln City once upon a time, um, who are obviously a teeny tiny club, and I, I fully think that if yeah. they're given time with Portsmouth and they'll get that club up and they're a reason for us to be a little mm. bit fearful of a banana skin in this So all game. they need is a high profile scalp in the cup 
perhaps a third round victory <laughs> at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, for, for example. Well, it, to put them on well, the map. Well, it's, it's yeah, what we yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. We make yeah, dreams Vermin's come true. The other young ma- <laughs> Not our own dreams. <laughs> exactly. We make dreams come true. No, never our own <laughs> The theatre of your dreams. That's what we should call our stadium. Um, <laughs> them along with Ian Everett at Bolton are probably the best young managers outside the Premier League. Okay, watch this space. Well, well, we'll see. We've got a lot yeah, of games. We'll, we'll obviously have a lot to look back on by the time we do our next episode. And I imagine a lot of that episode will be focused mm. on looking ahead to the Arsenal game. Arsenal, who have shown no signs of slowing down, unfortunately, uh, coming from behind themselves to win 3-1 against West Ham. Before we wrap things up, we're not, we're not going to do a challenge earlier today. Apologies to those of you who have hung on for the best part of an hour just for that. But I just wanted to get your thoughts, Elio, generally just on the club at the moment, because I know we always see this to varying extents, but I, I don't remember ever seeing quite as much anti-Enix sentiment floating through Twitter. And I know you're not completely in one camp or the other, and, and obviously it, it's a very nuanced topic, but where things are at the moment obviously we have a transfer window coming up which may well define what happens with us and what happens with Conte but what's your assessment of the situation on the whole with the club right now with Conte with the board are you concerned and do you think it will just depend on what happens in the window it's a really hard one I personally think that Enoch deserve more credit than criticism for their tenure yeah. over us. We've come on leaps and bounds as a club. We were neck and neck with the Villas and the Evertons. Mm. In fact, we were below the Villas and the Evertons when they took over us. And now we're incomparably superior to those clubs, I yeah. think, but for Abramovich essentially and his money coming into the game, we would have had a lot more Champions League qualifications yeah. than we've had and probably picked up a few pots mm. as well. And then obviously with um, Shinawatra and Mansour respectively following that trend at City and Billions becoming a thing. The thing is, yes, Enoch, Joe Lewis, billionaire, there's a difference between being worth a couple of billion and being a sovereign yeah. state uh, or yeah. uh, best pals with um, the oligarchy. So uh, yeah. exactly. So I really, I really do think that Enoch have us on the whole punching mm. above our weight in terms of the whole trophy thing. The squads that they've built have been good enough to get us to several finals and semifinals that we've fallen short in. Yeah. Just law of averages suggests we should have come up with a couple mm. of trophies from the amount of semis and finals we've ended up in under them. So yeah. while, yes, they're somewhat culpable for the fact that it's only one in their tenure because maybe they've not backed managers quite yeah. enough, if you're good enough to get to a final, you're good enough to win yeah, it. Just a couple of games one way or the other could have vastly changed the way people see the club today. Wigan won an yeah. FA Cup. Leicester City won it the other day. Mm. Obviously, who was it that uh, won the League Cup as well? Absolutely. Uh, Birmingham City won the League Cup. Like, I don't remember that If these things can happen, then... Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Stephen Carr was their captain. It was against Arsenal ah, in the final. Okay. So we'll count um, that one. It was... We'll take, we'll, we'll take an assist so, on that yeah, trophy. Quite. Yeah, what we'll a trophy. Um, trophy. Yeah, yeah. So, so I won't beat them with the trophy stick. However... If with the money we now have coming in from the stadium, if with this 150 million credit loan that they're apparently yeah. taking out, if they've got a manager in place like Conte mm. and they don't actually look at the league and the way it's going right now, and we've got FFP massively on yeah. our side because of how good our wage to turnover ratio is, if they don't actually help Conte reinforce this January the same way they did last January. Last January was good. The summer was yeah. decent as well. If they don't repeat the trick now and we end up falling away at the end of the season, then it's really going to be yeah. hard to stand up for them. The other thing is, though, someone's going to buy the club. 
And then you think, okay, mm. who do you want to buy the club? Do we want to be owned by yeah. sovereign states with appalling human rights records? No. I would no. rather not. I don't want to have to answer the moral question. I agree. Do we want to be owned by an American investment company like Manchester United and mm. Liverpool are? Well, to tell you the truth, Liverpool are run the same way as we are. So are Manchester United. In fact, Man United's owners have actually taken a lot of money out of Manchester United. Our owners have never done that. The difference there, though, is that Liverpool and Manchester United are the two biggest clubs in the country with 40 league titles (laughs) between them. So they can be run within their means and their means are still always going to be far greater than ours because of decades worth of history. So I feel like... Enoch are almost a victim of circumstance and of the own success they've brought yeah. to us because now the expectation is that we'll push on. But that final hurdle is it's like putting Floyd Mayweather, best in his class for such a long time, arguably the best of all time yeah. in his division. I don't agree yeah. personally, but that's what the stats say. So it's like putting him in a ring with... I wouldn't even go that far, but like putting him in a ring and saying, go fight Joe Calzaghi. Yeah. No, that's that's a good analysis. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good analogy. It's hard. Yeah, I think it, it's it's always difficult, isn't it? It's going to be one of those things that will just rage on and on, and it, it won't end until we start winning something. And then once we've done that, the I will be raised the sentiment further. Against There's always, we're always going to want more. And all it football fans are the same. The other thing I'll say is, unfortunately, I think some of the opinion about Enoch and a lot of the time it's shown as fallacy because they have actually put a lot of money mm. into players, a lot of money. A lot of the rhetoric around Enoch is unfortunately, and this is just speculation, I'm not going to put my neck on the line and say this is case, is driven by the fact that they are of a certain background yeah, and yeah. that certain background has unfortunately had Negative a horrible stereotype, stereotype yeah, to- yeah. attached to it over the years to do with being frugal so i'm not always convinced that it's purely footballing reasons why they get the criticism yeah they you can't know that for sure but it, it definitely stands to reason that that's an element of it well that took a pretty dark turn didn't it that podcast uh, was quite light-hearted up until then well uh, let's say hey no, if you I ask know. the big questions I, i'm gonna I give you big answers take, take responsibility for it but no that that was a really good summary really um, thank you for that and I think it's always interesting because it is it's a moving it's moving parts in it isn't it it's one of those things that is so intrinsically woven into how well we're doing and who we're signing and where we are in the league and all that and, and mm-hmm. Spurs fans and football fans are so fickle but it's, it's nice every so often to take a snapshot of it I know we did a whole episode on it once upon a time but that was a while ago and just thought it was something worth touching on given how much it seems to be back on the timeline well look let's let's leave it there then that, that's probably more than enough not the best pick up after the World Cup not quite what we were hoping for but it's not all doom and gloom and of course we're all going to have a chance to look back at what Erling Haaland does to Dave's Leeds United tomorrow as well Dave how are you feeling about football is there any small part of you looking forward to your game or do you just want to get over and done with I always look forward to it and, and ultimately we have performed pretty well against decent teams we put on a show uh, yeah. against you uh, coming <laughs> on the wrong was side a of show. the result, but then we beat we beat Beat Chelsea, yep. beat Liverpool, gave Arsenal a pretty good run for their money as well. Yep. So you never know. You never know. Yep. Uh, although I'm 100% expecting a pretty convincing defeat. Yep. You never and you'll know. probably put money on it and probably Captain Erling Haaland, just as I would expect. Erling Haaland against his hometown club. Exactly. exactly. There exactly. you go, the prodigal son. There's a story there, isn't there? But more importantly, Dave, are you glad that the Premier League is back? You don't miss the World Cup. I don't miss the World Cup. I think the best thing about the World Cup is that it happens every four yeah. years. If it happened every year, nobody would watch yeah. it. Watch um, the space. Yeah, Mr. Wenger. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad it's back. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting rolling again. And then all of a sudden... Stopping again because there'll be some ridiculous international break to deal with. Anelio, you glad to have Spurs back? 
Absolutely. Who doesn't enjoy a bit of misery and desolation in their <laughs> we soul? Need we need we, it. We do. We exactly. do. It is our drug, and we're never giving it up anytime soon. Brilliant. Well, I hope you all join us next week, where we will be looking ahead to a huge match. I'm probably dreading a big match against Arsenal, but uh, we'll also be looking back on three games and talking a whole load of other nonsense as well. So I really hope you can all join us for that next week. Thank you for joining us. Merry Christmas. You stay classy, Spurs fans, and we'll see you next week. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, 